0: And so really the process of planning is the real value, and it pays off in dividends, right? The staff members come together, we, we think about our safety, we think about the business, we think about how we coordinate with others around us, our neighbours, our families, our friends, our loved ones. And essentially, all that process really helps us to determine how we'll get back on our feet as soon as possible, because we can't prevent the shaking, but certainly we can prepare for it, and that preparedness really does pay off.
1: Welcome to Surrey Economic Insights, where we sit down with some of the top city building and industry experts to unpack the latest business insights and opportunities affecting fast-growing cities like the City of Surrey in British Columbia, Canada. My name is Stephen Wu. I'm the Manager of Economic Development with the City of Surrey. And today we're excited to have four guests joining us. Jerry Grant, co-chair of Great BC ShakeOut. Naomi Yamamoto, board president of BC Earthquake Alliance. Taryn Moore founder of Northwest Seismic Consultants, and finally, our own Shelley Morris, part of City of Surrey's Emergency Support Services and Assistant Fire Chief. With our guests' diverse backgrounds today and perspectives, we will be exploring how we can respond and prepare for, if possible, the different disasters impacting our region. And as you kind of heard from the guests we selected today, I think the one that we are most concerned about is earthquakes. And so thank you to all of our guests for being here today. So just to kind of start off, we, as I mentioned earlier during our pre-call, we deal with economic development. We deal with a lot of businesses in Surrey. One of the big questions that we always have is how should businesses prepare for disasters and what role does business have to play? And maybe I can start off with Naomi and then turn it over to Jerry right after.
2: Sure. I guess for me, I've been a huge advocate for small business before I was in government and then in government. And one of the things that we we forget is the number of small businesses that really are a huge percentage of the businesses overall in British columbia and surrey is no different and i think the challenges that i've seen with the small business community and small businesses is most of them are five or fewer employees you don't necessarily have the resources in house when you either can't afford it you just don't have the resources in house to actually properly plan so the overarching tip that i have is that As a business owner and a leader, you should make sure that you have an emergency plan in place for your business. But just as important, I think, is that you need to make sure that your employees also have a plan at home. Because if your employees can't take care of themselves or their their family, they're not going to be showing up at work if there's an emergency. So that's kind of a broad answer. But I know that Jerry's got a lot of great tips for businesses. But, I mean, you know, I mean, if, you're, if you're in a warehouse, you want to make sure the heavy stuff is close to the floor. You know, you want to make sure your filing cabinets are secured to the wall. You want to make sure that you have an emergency kit and make sure that your employees, your staff know where it is or that it's accessible. So, you know, those that's a pretty basic thing. But, I, I mean, I can speak to what small businesses can do. How well
1: do you think small businesses are prepared? Like, do you feel that BC businesses in general are preparing for this i'm seeing some heads being shaken
2: (laughs) no unfortunately and it's i think probably businesses are a little more prepared than people at home but Mm. still that's not it's not enough and it's not enough just to have a
3: basic emergency plan for your small business like what are you going to do if you have an earthquake and you happen to be there size drop cover and hold on But it's having a business continuity plan because really the backbone of British Columbia is business. And one of the things, if we do have a major earthquake, the one thing to get things going again is to get our businesses up and going again. So how are you going to do that? If you're a small business, would you be able to operate your business with one or two people? Would you be able to operate your business out of your house? Because of course now, having all of us gone through covid more of us are used to doing a lot of work from home. So there's always that kind of an, uh, an option. I, I like the fact that Naomi brought up getting the employees as well. They should all have emergency plans. And one of the things that they could do as well is visit the ShakeOut website, register for ShakeOut, practice our drill. That drill mm-hmm. is there so that people know what to do if the earth starts moving. You know to drop, you know to cover your head, your neck, you know to hold on. And the more that you do that, the more that you're committed to doing that, you're showing your neighbors, you're showing other business people that you're committed to your safety and public safety. And I think that's really important. The other thing with ShakeOut and and just being in basic preparedness, the province has all sorts of fantastic resources. They have actually on their their PrepareBC website, they do have guides for small businesses, how to do a, a business continuity plan, because really that's, I would think really important for businesses, little or small, and I'll leave room for other people. Mm -hmm. I guess
1: the question here is, is, you know, we talk about plans and I know government, we always love our plans. We love our strategies. We love our paperwork. But how hard is it for a business to kind of get one of these plans done and how hard it, because getting the plan done might take a few hours. It might take a few days, but how often do they need to be refreshing and practicing those plans as well?
2: Yeah, it depends on the business. And I think Prepared BC suggests quarterly refreshes of the plan. I mean, employees change, things expire. It's actually not hard to create the plan. And there's a step by step Mm -hmm. template for for businesses. But it's just, it's being aware that those resources exist to help you. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like the big earthquake. You know, let's look back at last
3: year, November 15th, the Mm -hmm. atmospheric river, how that affected the businesses in the Fraser Valley. If people had some sort of continuity plan, if this happens, how are we going to run our business? Because that's what you're doing. You're thinking, if I can't physically go there, uh, how can I continue? Because really, that's how your money's coming in for your own family. You're supporting the community by keeping things going. So it's really important to think about how you would get back to the business of your business.
1: And and Naomi, you, you did make an interesting point earlier. Like there's sometimes it's just very simple things like, you know, loading the heavier stuff on the bottom and, and and whatnot. I guess Shelley, as fire is going into the businesses and doing your usual inspections, are those things that the fire department and emergency services is looking for and providing advisory services on a regular basis?
4: They don't do that per se, but they do hand out business preparedness guides for them. So every business they go into, they, they hand them a guide and they recommend that they go through the steps because it's going to be individualized for each of those businesses. So they go through right now and they do all their fire risks, but they encourage them to go much farther with it and, do, and get that business continuity plan you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. So it, it's done on an ongoing basis here, but it's difficult because it is up to them now to put the effort in and actually to go through those steps and create resilience within their organization so we have economic recovery.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess when we kind of talked about economic recovery and these business planning, Jerry, you mentioned atmospheric river and obviously, you know, for us in British Columbia, we're very susceptible to forest fires, we're very susceptible to extreme weather, flooding, and there's a lot of other natural disasters. And it almost seems like a lot of the same preparedness tips apply to everything. So I know that you represent a lot of the earthquake disaster scenarios, but how integrated are you with the other extreme kind of disaster sen- you know, agencies and whatnot? And how coordinated is that? And is there a little bit of a confusion amongst this? I don't want to say confusion, but coordination, because they're like, oh, we have to do this and this and this, not knowing that maybe one plan can solve a lot of their problems.
3: I know what Karen's thinking right now. If you're prepared for an earthquake, you're prepared for everything. And okay. that is the truth, and so my day job, I'm an emergency program coordinator. So it is about all the other hazards. But really, if you're prepared for the earthquake, you are prepared for all everything else.
1: And maybe Taryn, you can explain why is that? Why is it that you know preparing for an earthquake, you know, um, you're prepared for everything else? And you know, I know that every year there's like the zombie apocalypse kind of you know emergency preparedness thing. But why is it so special that you know we kind of look to like the earthquake as the the, the mother of all disasters?
0: Yeah, well, it certainly helps people think, doesn't it? Often we think of the ground as something that's very stable, right? So an earthquake is something many of us haven't experienced, many of us fear. And many of us, therefore, sort of have this sort of angst and anxiety around trying to prepare for it because we don't really know what it will look like, whether it's a big one or whether it's a small tremor. And so really the, the process of planning is, is the real value and it, and it pays off in dividends, right? The staff members come together. We, we think about our safety. We think about the business. We think about how we coordinate with others around us, our neighbors, our families, our friends, our loved ones. And essentially, all that process really helps us to determine how we'll get back on our feet as soon as possible because we can't prevent the shaking, but certainly we can prepare for it. And that preparedness really does pay off. We can also mitigate for it, right? Whether we can strengthen a structure or Do some of those non-structural reinforcements that we talked about, like securing bookshelves. But for me also, it's about that communication, right? It's the people that we really care about, right? Not only surviving, which is the drop, cover, and hold on piece, but also just being secure in ourselves, that we can rely on each other. And we know who has the vulnerabilities and who has the strengths and how we can use those to our advantage in our business setting and our family settings to really grasp what does an earthquake look like and what are our risks around earthquakes but also Zurich rivers, forest fires, and other things that we will see, right? And again, that process of planning is really the fundamental piece of building that culture of resilience that we really need to get the economy back on track, but also just to get that sense of community and and uh, and camaraderie before or during or after any event, uh, we really need that social cohesion to really make us that uh, resilient uh, province that we want to be.
1: Okay, so maybe I can kind of run a scenario here because I guess you know we always talk about the big one and we're always preparing for the big one. And every year, you know, Shelley comes to senior management and we talk about preparing for the big one. But the big one over the years has still not happened, and it's very easy for people to kind of think, "Well, it's never going to happen if it hasn't happened yet." But then you have communities like Port Hardy and you have a lot of those on Vancouver Island where, you know, they often feel the tremors. They see the potential risk of earthquakes probably more so than us who are probably a little bit more sheltered. What are they doing differently to being proactive about kind of emergency preparedness that maybe we can kind of learn from?
2: I mean, when you're in a remote or rural community anyways, you are generally Mm -hmm. more prepared than folks in large urban areas like Surrey. We don't stock a lot of stuff in our fridge here or deep freeze because we know we can go to the store, you know, minutes away Mm -hmm. to pick up whatever we need. So I think the rural areas like Port Hardy and it's Prince Rupert and, you know, those areas are by nature more resilient already. But one of the things that we're really trying to promote is the hike to high ground. So oftentimes it's not the earthquake that's going to cause a lot of the damage. It's actually going to be the result of tsunami. And I mean, that mm-hmm. happened in Japan, a large Tohoku earthquake. So the muscle memory, building up the muscle memory, some of the smaller communities, they have an annual drill where they, they hike to higher ground when they hear the mm-hmm. tsunami sirens. And, you know, on Long Beach near Tofino, every Monday, I think it is, mm-hmm. one day a week, there's a bells of Westminster or something that ring along the beach, mm-hmm. just to remind people that they're in a tsunami zone, but when the actual mm-hmm. Um, tsunami sirens go up, they'll know what to
0: do. Just to add to, to Naomi's points there too, I think the difference between folks that do feel tremors regularly is they don't have to use their imagination as much, right? Because mm-hmm. they know what it feels like to feel the ground shake and they, they, they can feel that. And certainly they will take that to, to heart when they go home and they look around or when they go to their office and they look around and they think about, well, what if that shaker was was larger, right? but I'd also just like to remind folks that it has happened many, many times over the years Geological time, right? The last time was uh, 1700 in January 26, 1700 where the folks that were here, many many hundreds of thousands of folks, did experience the big one and it will happen again. So, this isn't something that may or may not happen. It will, whether it's again a 9.0 type of earthquake or whether it's something that's smaller that might be in the six or seven range. But the closer that is to people and to infrastructure, I mean, that shaking can be just as damaging or even more damaging than something that might be uh, offshore and, and a larger magnitude. So, being aware of those kinds of things, you know, what is the difference between different kinds of earthquakes, whether or not you have a tsunami risk, whether or not you have. A liquefaction risk, which is where soft soils can act actually like liquid, uh, and, and can actually kind of bubble up, cause lots of damage, and also, of course, things like fires and floods following the uh, the ground shaking, right? Dikes breaching, perhaps other things. So thinking about not only the ground shaking, but what's next and what is the next piece that we would have to think about in that planning process so that we are prepared not just for the earthquake itself, but for that that whole kind of continuation of a disaster event, which which will hit British Columbia just a matter of time.
1: And, and I guess that's kind of where, you know, a lot of it is really how soon can we know that the earthquake is hitting it? And do you feel that the technology right now gives us enough warning so that if the 9.0 earthquake hits, there is sufficient enough time for us to kind of run to the hills, so to say, or kind of duck and cover or, or how much time will we have?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is very exciting times for technology, right? Communication technologies, especially. So we do have the capability to detect earthquakes before that ground shaking hits our location so depending on the distance and the speed of the communication and the distance away from the earthquake that's what will give you the kind of warning time but Stephen, certainly not enough to run to the hills but perhaps enough to get away from a heavy object that might be hanging over top of you or to again preemptively get under that sturdy table to drop cover and hold on and protect yourself perhaps get your children underneath the table with you stuff like that very simple things or perhaps even automated things, right? Thinking of a SkyTrain or an airport where perhaps you can automatically sort of direct traffic, so to speak, so that you don't, you know, you're not landing during the ground shake or, you know, you're slowing down that train before the ground shaking. And this is a technology that's in use in many countries. It's called Earthquake Early Warning, and it's in development as well here in, in British Columbia. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, we get warnings and alerts all the time, right? So how do you As a person, let's say, interpret or receive the warning, interpret it, understand it, and then do the right thing. And again, Mm -hmm. this is where that practice and that muscle memory is really critical. If you get something that says an earthquake is on its way, you might have one second, you might have 10 seconds, you might have 60 seconds. What Mm -hmm. can you do that will be to your advantage uh, to prevent injuries? to perhaps save your life and perhaps even to prevent some damage from occurring. And this is very exciting technology that we have available to us today. But again, many people aren't aware of the technology and they wouldn't know how to use it, even if they they did have access to it.
1: And I think, you know, to that communication, then back to kind of Shelly, like I last year, I was encouraged to download the alertable app and I and I kept getting the uh, heat warning alerts and whatnot. And I found that super useful. How else are people going to be alerted to these events? Is it going to be the text messages and whatnot? Is there a risk that the cell towers are going to be all collapsed? And I don't know if we have signaling like bells, you know, or or street lamps or whatnot that are actually providing guidances or whatnot. Like, how are people going to be aware that there's an earthquake that is pending? Besides these high tech solutions, and are they the best solutions for the emergencies that we're facing here in British Columbia?
4: We talk about communications as one of the the main yeah. topics. We go around and around every year how we're going to get a hold of people. And That emergency notification system was some of our way to get, especially people that were isolated within their homes. So we we came up with that solution. We have a lot of redundancies in place, but it does worry me. We will not get a hold of everyone. We're going to use social media. We're going to use TV. We're going to use radio. We're going to use the emergency notification. But if our cell towers and everything are are down, we will be in a little bit of trouble getting out to people. So we do have some neighborhood emergency preparedness plans in place. We've got amateur radio going into communities and they're helping them get on to basic radio systems, some simplex systems so they can get out as well with, with AF or whatever they need to do to reach and get information from outside and bring it into their complex and spread mm-hmm. that information amongst their neighbours. It's not as widespread as I would like, but at least it, it gives them a, a sense of safety and security. They, they can get the information that we can't give them, so they mm-hmm. can get it maybe out, get out somewhere else. That's the last option, but we're, we're slowly getting out into the community with that.
1: And I guess, you know, for us, you know, in Surrey here, Simon Fraser University, they have some very creative researchers who are doing a lot of interesting things, I get approached about sensor technologies that they want to put in the ground. They want to get involved in emergency management. If, you know, if I kind of did a round robin here and kind of said, if there was a magic device that you would like kind of invented to help with your work, what would that look like and what would it be? Maybe I can kind of start with uh, Naomi.
2: Oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> i still think it. Magic device. I think that everybody, and this is pretty basic, but that everybody would know to drop, cover, and hold on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, if you can protect yourself, then that's the first step. You'd be surprised how many kids, when we do these fairs, you know, these community fairs, how many, how many kids, young kids will know exactly, drop, cover, and hold on, but their parents mm-hmm. don't. Because it, it is being introduced into the school. So we don't have enough, I don't think, that broad awareness of what to do when the ground starts shaking. I hope I talk long enough so that Terry and Taryn and Shane have better <laughs> <laughs> magic moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it seems like education, I think it's just kind of basic education, like we, we need to kind of ingrain and kind of instill behavior change and, and kind of instill very basic skills that are probably life-saving, right? Yeah. Okay. Who wants to be next on the chopping block? Taryn seems to be a techie guy, so maybe we can kind of turn to him next and give him, <laughs> give him the rest of sure, the minute.
0: Sure. Well, I, I've also been lucky to to work in academia on these kinds of problems, right? So for me, it's about information and data, right? So, so you can't prevent the ground from shaking, you know, you don't know, most most buildings in BC will survive fairly well, right? The, the building technologies, the building code, the, the materials generally are flexible materials. One out of every 10,000 buildings might fall down in a, in a larger earthquake. So with that kind of thing in mind, for, for me, it's about, you know, immediate information about what is happening, either currently or what just happened, perhaps. And then what does it mean to you? So for me, this is about people, right? So what kind of earthquake? Yeah, that's important for the scientists, for the, you know, responding and, and, and other folks. For me as a parent, for example, I want to know, is my kid safe? And so for me, I think something like um, a cell phone app, which would basically automatically show up and say, are you safe or aren't you safe? And then my child could just swipe left to say I'm safe and swipe right to say I'm not not safe. Again, giving me as a father that idea of, "Okay, I can calm down. My son is safe. Mm -hmm. I can now go to priority two, right, which is uh, you know something else, and so for me, that immediately after the ground shaking can really help ease the stress and ease the pain, the the mental pain of an earthquake that's uh, maybe large or maybe small. Again, but for me, the opportunities are are really vast for getting that information out to people and then receiving information back about what is the context, what is the current situation, the awareness of that situation, and then what do we do that's going to be pragmatic and effective for the response. And so for me, this is where the opportunities really lie for, for monitoring for earthquakes, like what SFU and UVic and Natural Resources Canada are doing, but more and more larger just to the general populace, which can, again, gain that data, gain that information about what happened, but then also you know, give that information about what does it mean to me? Is my building safe? And and what am I going to do? Where are we going to meet, right? Is it grandma's house or is it our place? What is it, right? And have those plans in place, be able to communicate, okay, it's go time. uh, And that really will ease the whole disaster and turn it into something that's more of a a drill-like scenario as opposed to the craziness and the the, the stress of chaos. And that's what, if we can do that, even with a 50%, 60% of people you're just preventing all of those folks from becoming victims themselves in, in that kind of an event. So that's where really the opportunity lies for me.
1: Not to kind of pitch this to Alertable before I buy stocks in them, but uh, maybe Shelly, how do we get like an app like Alertable, which is already on a lot of people's cell phones to maybe integrate some of these features? Because it doesn't seem very difficult to do. It seems like an added functionality. So how do we kind of get that started? Are, is there funding for innovators to kind of develop these things or are emergency preparedness professionals looking for ready-baked solutions to be integrated into the toolkits that you have?
4: We actually have this discussion on a regional basis quite a bit. We, so what okay. we do is we take those tools and we've been given templates and we recreate them. But okay. it, it's because geographically our risks are different across the country. So we're given templates, but I would love to see I would love to see this regulated mm-hmm. on, a, on a higher level that says this mm-hmm. is the wording, because otherwise we're all making up our own messaging. Mm-hmm. The messaging has to be the same. If an earthquake mm-hmm. hits across the province, the province will probably be the one to message out. We won't. If it happens mm-hmm. more localized, we'll message our own messaging, and that's fine. But if there's a bit of overlap, that's you're gonna we're going to have a lot of confusion. And what okay. Taryn was just uh, alluding to is it was alleviating that fear. And I think mm-hmm. you create fear when you cross-message because you could be sending sort of some mixed signals. So his dream and, and wish is also mine. I'd like to see everybody know exactly what happened and what they need to do. There's a fear right now that we are going to cross-message and create some problems. And then building on what Darren said as well is, and I think that would be my first wish, but because you already said it, now I'm going to say that what I'd like to see uh, something created that could give us immediate situational awareness. So we have resources in the city and we have to actually mobilize them to start a response and then following a recovery where are we putting them Mm -hmm. that worries me city of surrey is huge and Mm -hmm. what's down where the people need help the most what critical infrastructure needs to be up first that's going to be such a big task it will be create more problems until we can get started
1: not an easy task at all
4: no picks me
1: up. okay and jerry the best idea, because you had the most time to think about
4: it. <laughs> No, because
3: actually, some of the things have already been produced. Like, mm-hmm. I've been doing this job that I have right now for about 10 years, and when I started, there wasn't Alertable, which is a fantastic app. I get everybody to put it on their phones. Mm-hmm. The province has their push notifications. So that a tsunami warning gets pushed. You know, this is something that for me, like I can remember thinking eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. I just wish we had this technology. Well, it's here now. Earthquake early warning. Taryn has worked a lot on that. And there's other partners that also working on it. That's now coming to fruition. So it, it's actually now a little bit, getting back to that personal side again, and Taryn spoke to that, and also uh, Shelly. One of the things that I would add, you know, for your listeners, of course, we all, we want that app, Taryn, that app to swipe. uh, But if we don't have that, people's first inclination is to phone. And if Mm -hmm. everybody starts using their cell phones or a landline, those things clearly go down right away. One of the things you can do is just, a simple text message. Mm-hmm. The text message may not go through right away, but they do sit in a queue and they will eventually get in. Uh, one tip would be to have an out-of-town contact so that everybody is sending their text message to that person who's collating all the information for the family. Harder if you have little children, mine are grown now, but um, yeah. you know, as you get older, you know, everybody's so different places and it's a, a good way as well, having, if you're a business, having, if you have a business partner in another province, mm-hmm. you know, being able to contact them and send information that way and have your employees get information as well, because communication is the one thing that is going to go down. Mm-hmm. It just is, you know, Absolutely. all you have to do is look at a, a windstorm on the West Coast and you know what happens, the power goes out, none of us can talk.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the big thing that I took away from this conversation is, is being prepared is not that difficult. I think you just have to do it and you need to have a plan and you need to kind of really practice it and get that muscle memory, as you said. Like, you know, a lot of the solutions you talked about, you know, we can kind of create like very crazy, sophisticated solutions, but the solutions might just be at our fingertips. Well, you know, thanks again, Jerry, Naomi, Taryn, and Shelly today for this very interesting chat. And as I said, you know, what we like to do here on this podcast is kind of give very short, sweet, but impactful insights to our listeners. And hopefully you've inspired quite a few more businesses to kind of get their emergency plan, get ready, and maybe even talk to some of their neighbors and their staff to kind of get ready as well. Because again, it's not just one entity. It's not just one person. It does take a village and a community to be prepared. And so thank you so much today for sharing your insights and hopefully we can have you back soon and discuss a little bit more of these details a little bit further. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. And thank you again to our listeners for tuning into Surrey Economic Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review. And don't forget to share this with others as well. Follow us on LinkedIn if you'd like to catch the next episode as soon as it's released. See you next time. Thank you.